Atamaria, welcome to First Up. It is Rapare, that is Thursday, the 29th of September. Cornathan Rarare, a ho coming up. The British Labour Party have just wrapped up their conference in Liverpool. Henry Riley's there to talk to us about what went on, also the UK's crashing pound slash economy. Did Air New Zealand underestimate how logistically complicated the direct route to New York actually is? What about the length of the shift for the crews and the flight, too? We speak to the unions this morning and the airline response. And Deputy Prime Minister Grant Robertson is with us on the show as he talks about the future of our economy. Inflation will start to come down in New Zealand, but it won't be a big dramatic plunge. It's going to be a steady reduction as forecast by economists. Good everyone, welcome to First Up. We have a, a varied and busy show for you today. Lots going on uh, around the world, particularly in the UK too, where the man to cover it for us is Henry Riley. So the switch to daylight saving makes things a little interesting with your foreign correspondent. So I caught up with him just before we came to air because he was just about to catch a train home to London. That's right. So I'm in Liverpool at the moment. I've been at the Labour Party conference soaking up the atmosphere. They're very strange events. I could sort of compare them to US primaries when you've got the Democrat and the Republican candidates running for president and everyone's cheering. And, you know, it's a sort of slightly slimmed down version of that. It's quite a bizarre event in that. You know, this is almost like a festival for big political types. You know, you're walking around and seeing your favourite acts, but they're actually politicians uh, instead. And you're walking around and you bump into the shadow, YZ, the shadow chancellor, the Labour leader. There's a lot of drinking that goes on. The pubs are full of political journalists and full of aides and full of advisors. And they're all uh, getting stuck in uh, as well. And there's various policy sort of debates as well. So there, there's a lot going on. There's a lot to get your teeth um, stuck into. Do you know what? It, it is mainly positive. Uh, there's not many lowlights from this Labour conference. It's been a success for them, and it needed to be a success for them. The government at the moment has a whole string of problems, and what the Labour Party needed to do now, and actually it's come at a very good time for them, is appear as a government-in-waiting. They need to look like they could come up tomorrow, go into government, and you know, hit the ground running and be a better alternative than the Conservatives. And they've done just that. So Keir Starmer gave his speech, which was yesterday, and he was setting out his uh, bold vision for Britain. He was talking about everything from, you know, setting up breakfast clubs in schools to help disadvantaged children. I mean, we've had reports in the UK that uh, kids on free school meals eat half of their meals at the moment and then bring the other half home. That's how difficult the cost of living situation is at the moment. And uh, one of the main pledges from Keir Starmer was to launch a publicly owned Great British Energy, which is uh, not quite nationalisation, but it's putting a competitor in the market to try and uh, compete against those private energy companies. The only downside from the Labour point of view was there was a Labour MP, Rupert Huck, who made some quite unfortunate comments. Uh, uh, and actually, the Labour leader, Sir Keir Starmer, described them as racist comments against uh, the Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, to do with his skin colour. Uh, and she was immediately suspended from the party. But other than that, it's been a, a, a big success for, for the Labour Party, I have to say. Yeah. Um, now, <clears throat> I want to talk about uh, obviously we've watched from afar and seen the election of Liz Truss and, and what's happened to the economy since then. Uh, the Bank of England say that they're stepping, you know, it looks like they're going to step in to calm markets. How do they think they will do that and will this actually calm the markets? Well, it is a really volatile situation economically wise uh, in, in the UK. We've seen a, I mean, not just fluctuation of the pound, we saw a tanking of the pound 
uh, a little bit earlier on and actually Keir Starmer said that Parliament needs to be recalled now. We need to actually get everyone around the table because Parliament's currently off because of these party conferences uh, uh, that we just spoke about. And, you know, markets are going bananas at the moment. There was a clip of our Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, uh, who was being questioned. He was walking from the Treasury and a journalist was sort of shouting questions at him and he was walking past and not saying anything. And if there's one thing you do, uh, if you don't want to create panic, is, is not say anything at all. I mean, I don't know why he, I mean, he just didn't say anything. He refused to answer a question and people were going, uh, is everything all right? You know, are we going to be okay? And he just refused to answer any questions, which caused quite a lot of panic uh, as well. So the Bank of England have been getting involved because they, they've essentially had to say that, look, you know, we, we will step in to calm markets if there is a situation of this sort. They already have. They've already released various statements uh, at various points today in order to sort of quell that uh, fear. The pound slid to, you know, record low uh, against the dollar or a record that, you know, we haven't seen in about 14, 15 years. Um, so, So there has been that need for the Bank of England to get involved. They've said they will step in. As I say, they're going to buy government debt if it gets really bad to uh, stabilise the economy. But it's not just the Bank of England. The International Monetary Fund also today have criticised the UK government now, saying that its plan for tax cuts uh, essentially should be reversed, you know, you know, saying words to those effect. So it's gone down badly, uh, the financial statement in the UK. It's gone down badly. Uh, one would assume with various parts of the Bank of England if they're having to, you know, get involved to, uh, to to help out. And also, if the IMF are also saying it's bad, it's caused quite a stir here in the UK. And there is a sort of sense of unease at the moment and a sense that there is not, the, the issue isn't being perhaps gripped as it uh, could and should be. Henry, I know a lot of people invested in property. It's been, I mean, it was a worldwide thing that governments told people to do in the last 10 to 15 years or so. I imagine that is really worrying for anyone that's got a mortgage and it might have stretched themselves. So I want to ask you about that. But also also as well, on the end, just want to tag on this, 57% of the Conservative Party membership were very confident, they walked out and said, we voted for Liz Truss, she's the one to take us forward, and they were very forthright when they spoke to cameras and media afterwards. Are those people still doing the same thing? And then, sorry to also do that, can you flip it back to the mortgage stuff too? So I think we'll know the answer to that question realistically next week when it's Conservative Party conference, and you will have a swathe of Liz Truss supporters there. Many people are saying that she's doing the right thing. People right. are pointing to the dollar being historically high and saying it's actually, in fact, high against the euro uh, and various other ways of sort of playing down uh, what is happening. Many people are also saying that markets will take time to adjust. And this is just a sort of a a slight, uh, you know, canary in the coal mine at the moment. And uh, it will it will all be fine eventually. And the, the overall plan for tax cuts is probably more important. Um, so I think there are, there are those Liz Truss supporters, Nathan, who will still be bullish. They will still say, well, look, we've had years of what they would describe as unconservative budgets. And now what we need to do is wait. And we, you know, we finally have tax cuts and they view that as a good thing. There are also people I suspect who are looking at this and wondering if they have made the right decision in backing Liz Truss. It's already been reported that Rishi Sunak, uh, of course, who, who ran against Liz Truss, was in contention to be prime minister, he's not going to go to the party conference and many of his supporters aren't going to go to the party conference. So it has sort of split uh, the party. And on the point about mortgages as well, this obviously plays into the record uh, interest rates that we're seeing at the moment. The Bank of England has sort of been raising it step by step uh, every you know few months when they when the monetary policy committee meets. Uh, it's feared they could go as high as 6%, which, you know, is is 
almost incredible it could lead to a 10 to 15 percent drop in house prices and people who aren't on fixed rate mortgages are paying a hell of a lot and you know this has led to lenders from various companies from you know some of our biggest banks in the uk are now withdrawing mortgage products overnight you can't get a mortgage people who are sort of mid-mortgage are finding that banks are stepping back from that so you've now got a situation where the housing market is completely in flux and uh, you know money facts for instance which is a financial information service said that 935 mortgage products which is a quarter of all total mortgage products have now been taken off the shelf interest rates at the moment are rising and we uh, we suspect they're going to rise even further and then he caught a train that was henry riley 13 past five, you are listening to First Up here on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rariri. A couple of things for you to come back to me with this morning if you would like to participate. It's always lovely if you do. 2101 is the text line, or you can do it the old-fashioned way. First up at rnz.co.nz. Uh, two things. One, I was actually just listening to the programme before we came to air. They're talking about meat substitutes. If you are one of the people who doesn't eat, eat meat... Meat substitutes, tell us about the range you've got. Are meat substitutes too oily? And are there things that you wish that there was, you know, that there was? Like one of the ones I always get, I, I have to cook sausages sometimes when I'm doing the barbecues for the for the kids. And I'm like, why, is, just, why does it have to be sausage shaped? So there you go. Uh, that one as well for your meat substitute people. And uh, is there a, thing, a product that you wish you had if you're one of those people? And the other one is, um, for politics fans, what do you make of the UK situation? Is this all down to a bad decision by Liz Truss, or do you think this was just coming and she happens to be the one out the front when this has happened? 2101, right? There you go, 2101. Let me know about those. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. I know many of you have the reckons. You can never send them in. Just send them on in. That's great. Love, love the hive mind. 2101 or email first up at rnz.co.nz. Uh, we go to mainland Europe now, where our correspondent Anita purcell Sherlin joins us from Sweden. Kia ora, doctor. How are you? Fine, thank you. Kia I want to talk about your, your neighbours that's going on. You're there in Sweden. Tell me about what's happening over the fence there in the Russia-Ukraine war. Well, basically, the Russian installed leaders of Ukraine's Luhansk and Kherson regions have formally asked President Vladimir Putin to annex the occupied territories into Russia. Now, the appeals came after that uh, hastily organised referendum in the Russian-occupied regions, which Kiev and the West have denounced as illegitimate. But President uh, Putin defended the referendum, saying they were designed to stop the persecution of ethnic Russians and Russian speakers by Ukraine, a charge which the Ukrainian government denies. Now, the EU has warned that there will be consequences for the referendum. EU's High Representative for Foreign Affairs and Security Policy, Joseph Borrell, commented on Twitter that the referenda and their outcome was another violation of Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity. Meanwhile, Bulgaria, Poland and the US are urging any citizens that remain in Russia to leave urgently in anticipation of border crossings becoming much more difficult. And also in the also the US um, announced it will introduce a resolution at the UN Security Council calling on member states not to recognise any change to Ukraine and obligating Russia to withdraw its troops. I know. Well, look, I want to ask you about that, uh, the big pipeline explosion too there, but you did mention uh, about people trying to, uh, I guess, trying to flee Russia to different uh, countries. I know Finland is obviously one. There are thousands of Russians trying to cross into Finland. Are they being allowed to? Like, what, What's happening there? Well, basically, Finland has um, limited, um, well, is, is almost closing its borders, not quite, but almost. 
But um, officials guarding Finland's 1,300-kilometre border with Russia are calling for a fence to help prevent potential uncontrolled mass-scale entry from the east. Now, deciding to go ahead with the plans, we see Finland join Lithuania, Latvia and Poland and setting up barriers along the eastern borders. Now, on Wednesday, a citizens' initiative calling for a ban on issues issuing visas to citizens from countries waging wars of aggression was presented for debate in the Finnish parliament. And um, the initiative, which started at the end of July, had gathered the necessary support of 50,000 people now, since September 21, shortly after Putin's address to the nation announcing his um, massive military draft, we're looking at 194,000 Russians fled, had fled the country, and that mass exodus is continuing. So if we look at uh, where they're going, Georgia said more than 53,000 Russians have entered the country since last week, while Kazakhstan said um, 98,000 crossed into its territory, and the Finnish Border Guard Agency said more than 43,000 arrived in the same period and they're expecting a lot more. They're going to need a hell of a fence. I think there's a spare one on the border of Mexico and Texas, but I don't, I don't think that actually works. Let, let's go back to that um, the pipeline. So I've seen uh, the explosion, um, well, the footage of bubbles coming out there. You said those two leaks in the two major gas pipelines from Russia to Europe were caused by sabotage. What's all that about? Well, uh, basically, um, Swedish media is reporting that over 100 kilos of dynamite was used to try and destroy the pipelines, of which one holds an estimated 300 million cubic metres of gas. Now, um, basically, um, what they're reporting um, from Sweden is that they're seeing like, you know, these bubbles on the surface of the water, and one of them is about you know, one, nearly one kilometre in diameter. The um, outgoing Swedish Prime Minister Magdalena Andersson said since the attacks happened outside Swedish territory, um, that Sweden wasn't under attack. And the Danish Energy Minister Dan Jurgensen said the leaks were likely to last for a week until all of the gas escaping from the pipes have run out. Uh, very quickly, Shakira, the Colombian singer, is going to stand trial in Spain for tax fraud? What? Yeah, basically, um, what we're talking about is um, Shakira's residency status between 2012 and 2014, when prosecutors allege that she was living in Spain but listing her official residence elsewhere. So under Spanish law, people who spend more than six months in the country are considered residents for tax purposes, but Shakira says Spain wasn't where she was mainly living at the time. So a Barcelona court has ordered the singer to stand trial for six alleged tax crimes and Spanish prosecutors want to jail the 45-year-old superstar for eight years and fine her 23.8 million euros if found guilty. Wowee. Uh, Anita, thank you very much for your time. We speak to the doctor every week, Anita Purcell-Sherland, out of Sweden. Oops, call it 20 past five. There. I'm Nathan Radade and you are here listening to First Up on RNZ National. Coming up, we're going to discuss this in New Zealand situation where they, they can't make it to New York and back. The planes just can't do it fully loaded. So how logistically complicated is that long-haul route? We'll speak to the unions and also the airline response. And uh, Deputy Prime Minister Grant Robertson on the state of the New Zealand dollar as it's battling out there in the world. Time to catch up with news from regional New Zealand now. This morning we are in Whanganui with the marvellous Moana Alice of the Local Democracy Reporting Programme. So she's 
She's been looking at how the Whanganui and Ruapehu District Councils are planning to spend the extra money that they're due through the Better Off Support Package, which was made available through the government's Three Waters Reform. And as you can imagine, people have some very different uh, options about what they want to do with the extra cash, particularly in the Ruapehu District. Each of them has um, you know, quite a big sum of money available to them under the Better Off funding, under the Three Waters Reforms. And Ruapehu District Council stands to get 4.12 million of that in the first tranche of funding, and then after that, uh, another 12 million or so. And Wanganui District Council can get 24 million, six million of that in the first tranche. So they have to decide, you know, councils around the Motu, um, they have to decide whether they're applying for this better off funding, and they've got until Friday to make the decision. 30th of September. Gee, I mean, I mean, you'd yeah. want you'd want to apply for it, wouldn't you? That'd be good coming in. And what what would the options be that they could perhaps spend it on? Well, the Department of Internal Affairs has given a, a list of criteria on what they can spend it on, and it's meant to help move local communities into well, three things. One is a, a low emissions economy, and to help them cope with climate change and natural hazards. Mm-hmm. The second thing is to get more houses built. And the third thing is to improve community well-being. So the Ruapehu District Council came up with nine proposed projects, totaling exactly 4.12 million, and 2.5 million of that they wanted to use to build a new cycleway, linking the national park to the mountain to see Ngārātū Ono Great Ride. It used to be called that link, that part of the cycleway, uh, it used to be called the missing link because it doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they thought, this, they thought this would be a great great way to get this massive project done. So, yeah, more than, more than half of the 4.12 million they decided should be used on that. The next biggest amount was 540,000 to upgrade some really decrepit pensioner flats in Raiti, which are mouldy, damp and cold, you know, pretty decrepit all round and mostly occupied by elderly Māori. This is where it starts to get messy. (laughs) And everything sort of hit the fan somewhat when these nine projects went out to public consultation. Right. Yeah. So all nine project ideas went out to the public. There was a massive response. And at the council's final hui before the local government elections, the public gallery was packed and some were in favour of applying for the money and some wanted more time for consultation, which would mean leaving the decisions on how to spend that money for the incoming council after next week's council election. So in the end, only one of the nine projects is being pushed through by the current council, and it's not the cycleway, it's not the missing link. Council's going for only the pensioner flats upgrade, 540,000, and it wants to use the remaining... 3.58 3.58 or so million for a new discretionary community fund, which the new council will, will have to handle. I mean, I, I suppose if you're living in those pensioner flats, that is great because, you know, I mean, uh, making it warmer and better for people to live in is a nice thing. But how do people feel about that money going into a discretionary fund? Because there's always the worry that it could just get frittered away. Well, it's, it's got all going to be decided under the new council as part of their annual plan planning, which happens in February or March next year. So what the current council did was say to the public, let us know if you want us firstly to apply for this funding under Three Waters, 
Secondly, um, if you like the projects that we've put forward, and thirdly, have you got any other ideas? And I guess that was a fatal mistake because that's, you know, <laughs> obviously everyone's got ideas yeah, on and a wish list on how to spend $4.12 million. That's LDR's Moana Alice in uh, Wanganui. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. The day of our life, we call the 29th of September, and this is the day when we went to our knees, knees. Yes, Guns N' Roses released Welcome to the Jungle 35 years ago today. Let's have a look at birthdays. Kevin Durant, the basketball player, great nickname, Durantula. Pretty good. He's 34 years old today. Matt Gateau of Aussie rugby fame is 40. Shane Smeltz, former all-white goal scorer, uh, he's 41. And a couple of people turning 66 today. One of them born in Tokoroa and one of them not. Uh, Jenny Morris, the singer. Love you, Jenny Morris. 66 years old today. And Sebastian Coe, or Baron Sebastian Newbold Coe, is 66 years old today. It's also the birthday of Laszlo Biro, who invented the Biro, you know, the ballpoint pen in 1899. Um... Patented his idea in Paris in 1938, but was Jewish, so he had to flee to Argentina to escape the Nazis. Uh, in this day, in 1796, a fellow called Walter Hunt was born. He invented the the safety pin, the commercial safety pin. Sold the rights for 400 bucks, uh, and then it went on to earn millions. He was also the inventor of a sewing machine, a repeating rifle, and a fountain pen. Busy guy. In 2008, the stock market crash happened. This was the Great Recession of 2008. Dow Jones falling through the floor. It seems to be the month for it. And also on this day, sad memory. Uh, in 2009, uh, that earthquake that hit Samoa resulted in a tsunami that killed 189 and injured hundreds. Never forget that one. And on this day in 2019, in sport and rugby, Japan beat Ireland and Bay of Plenty beat Hawke's Bay. So what an amazing day for Minnow rugby teams. There we go. That's uh, this day we call the 29th of September. In charge of the business team this morning and the communications coming out of there, it's Anand Zaki. Kia ora Anand, how are you? Very well, sir. How are you? I'm pretty good. I understand. Is it a good time to be selling a small business or buying one? Oh, look, it's. Uh, I think it's neither, to be honest. Oh. It's. Uh, <laughs> it's. <laughs> it's. A, look, it's a challenging time, uh, without a doubt. Right, we've got a lot of uncertainties around uh, at the moment, but there is some good news as well, uh, and the good news is that. Uh, uh, small business sales growth, uh, which has been a bit slow recently due to the various economic factors that are around, um, they recorded a strong return to growth in August. Uh, The accounting software firm uh, Zero's monthly small business survey uh, showed sales were up by 10.4% in August when compared with the same month uh, two years ago, or up by more than a quarter from August last year. But that's because we were in lockdown in August last year, so obviously there'd be a huge jump when comparing to a lockdown. Uh, now, the re- reasons for the return to growth, well, sales are up, uh, which is great, uh, and firms have raised prices. Uh, of course, when costs go up for businesses, what usually happens is uh, they get passed on to the end user. Uh, now, uh, Zero say many businesses are still doing it uh, pretty tough, um, just uh, obviously uh, pressures in terms of finding staff, uh, wage pressures another issue uh, for them. Um, 
but good news for the employees on that fa- on that front. Uh, but the data suggests that there's a shift in the right direction, uh, according to Zero, uh, and it comes back uh, on the on the back of economic growth that we saw in the second quarter when GDP increased. Uh, small business jobs grew nearly five percent, which is the strongest month since January. So. That's good news for employees on that front. Uh, wages are, are up, are up 5.8%, which is slightly below the month earlier, but still above the long-term average of 3.9% for the past six months. Uh, and Zero say their overall data suggests that small businesses are, they are, a, are managing to navigate the various economic challenges. And they say New Zealand's small business index is performing better than Australia and the UK. All right. And... As we head uh, towards the end of the year, uh, you know, they're hopeful that the trends would stabilise and give the small business community some certainty, which I'm sure will be welcomed. Yeah, I think the kids down the road from us that were selling their toys at the front of the house, they're performing better than the UK economy too. Uh, so that's going well. <laughs> Thank you very much, Anand. There is Anand Zaki. You can hear more from the business team on Morning Report at 10 to 7. If you take your New Zealand dollar to market today, here's what you can buy. 57.1 US cents, 87.6 Australian cents, 58.9 Euro cents, 52.6 British pence, 4.1 yuan and 82.3 Japanese yen. So uh, yeah, as you just heard there, uh, six months ago you, the, the New Zealand dollar was 68.9 US cents. This morning as you've just heard sitting at 57.1 as that US dollar surges. So what are the implications particularly on interest rates? Well here's Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Grant Robertson. Well that's the signal that the Reserve Bank's given that in their last monetary policy statement. They indicated a track of of increases because their job is to get inflation back down into that 1% to 3% range and the tool that they use for that is the official cash rate which then is obviously what informs the interest rates that that banks charge. So that is the direction of travel. It's the same direction of travel as pretty much every central bank in the world because everybody's facing the same inflationary pressures. In some countries those inflationary pressures are significantly higher than they are in New Zealand. We're about sort of middle of the pack around the OECD, and most economists are predicting that inflation, you know, will start to come down in New Zealand, but it won't be a big dramatic plunge. It's going to be a, a steady reduction, um, as as forecast by economists. Equally, the world's a pretty uncertain and volatile place, and we've just seen that in the course of this last week. And and so there is a bit more pressure on inflation in New Zealand now with the dollar falling because the cost of imported goods goes up. On the other side of the coin, the, the profits that exporters can make um, would go up as well. So in these situations, there's always, always people who do better and people who do worse out of it, but... Um, the good news for New Zealanders is that our, our kind of economic fundamentals are strong, you know, low, low public debt, good levels of growth over periods. So, you know, we'll have to weather the storm, Nathan, there's no doubt about that, yeah. but um, we're in a pretty good place to do it. I'd say people that invested in property, right, they've got the mortgage there, they might have pushed themselves a bit to get it. What do you think life might be like for them in the coming months? Is it going to get really hard? 
So the, the stress testing work that the Reserve Bank does and, and the retail banks do means that they work pretty hard to try to make sure that people aren't being lent money into circumstances you know where they'll find themselves in a lot of trouble. So the feedback that I've had is that there is still be a small percentage of people who, who may have really over-leveraged them how, themselves with borrowing in recent times. But for the majority of people, their mortgage you know payments might go up a little bit, but they have enough of a buffer within their incomes and within their savings to be able to manage it. What it could do is perhaps have an effect on their discretionary spending because they need to put money to the mortgage. But the feedback I'm getting is that because of the the way um, that stress testing works, most people have had that some increases factored into uh, the lending that was done to them. The ANZ senior strategist, uh, David Croy, he says the UK's, the, this tax cut, you know, to, to their wealthy, the $85 billion tax cut package, he reckons that's the straw that broke the camel's back for the New Zealand dollar. How do, how do you respond to that? Oh, look, I think different economists and different watchers of currency markets will have different views. The, what's happening with the US dollar relates as much as anything to the fact that in a period of time where interest rates are going up, and they are going up a lot in the US, people who trade in currencies tend to gravitate back towards the US dollar as a safe harbour. I think what you're seeing in the UK, however, is is something else on top of that. And while I hesitate to comment on other countries' um, you know, policy decisions, uh, I think it's pretty clear from the reaction that's been seen that the idea of, of big tax cuts for the wealthy at a time as countries are emerging from COVID has not gone on well with the markets because they're not confident about how that will look in terms of the long-term prospects for the UK economy. So from New Zealand's perspective, I think it relates much more to what's happening in the US than in the UK. Okay. I mean, that UK policy that's put money back into the pockets of of the country's top earners there in in the UK, but their their pound is just falling to historic lows, and I see mortgage rates could hit very high, later in six percent. The UK Chancellor is he is he a misunderstood genius here, or is this a strategy that you're looking at and going, it's really hard for me to see what you're doing. <laughs> Yeah, like I say, we try not to comment too much on other countries' um, political decisions because obviously we're not there and we're not close to it. But as I've already said, I think market reaction would say a lot about about where people are. What I would say is that a policy of cutting taxes for the highest income earners is most definitely not our policy. It is, however, the National Party's policy here. And we just believe that this is not the time for that at all. It does relate to a philosophy around trickle-down economics, which is deeply flawed and our view has always been that you know we wanted to support low and middle income earners through COVID we did that but at the same time we need to invest in public services and just coming off the back of COVID you know that kind of policy which the National Party here favour of tax cuts for the top earners just does not seem like the right thing to do to me at all. Right. Uh, let, let's switch to something which was highly anticipated and has gone horribly. Uh, in New Zealand's direct flights to New York a uh, bit of turbulence there, particularly the one where somehow they didn't figure out, they didn't factor in how far the plane could fly with the luggage involved, so they haven't been able to take all their luggage. Considering that, you know, the taxpayer owns a bit of that, it's a pretty bad look for our national carrier, isn't it? 
Oh, look, no doubt this is not how New Zealand would have wanted their new flagship service to start off, and I'm certainly aware that, you know, they've taken measures now to mitigate against that. There was always the understanding that the flight back, just because of prevailing winds and other weather conditions, would be a slightly longer flight, one where they would have to have somewhat reduced capacity. But I think in the excitement of all of this, they perhaps overestimated what they could manage. And, yeah, they had to take those emergency measures in terms of taking bags off and and, and looking at, you know, rerouting and so on. Now I understand they've, they've lowered their expectations somewhat around the load that they can take so that they don't even have to consider delays or stopovers or anything like that. They'll just be able to fly direct. So I think it's just a case of perhaps somewhat overestimating what they could do, but they've corrected now and we hopefully won't see anything like we saw in the the first two or three flights. Yeah. There was a a One News Kantar public poll uh, which came out earlier this week. It had Labour unable to form the next government, although uh, up one point to to 34. So are you confident that you can continue to get those numbers up? And if so, how are you going to try to bump that in the coming months? Yeah, look, I thought it was an interesting poll in a way. And this has been an extremely tough winter for New Zealanders, you know, the first time that we've really had the big impacts of COVID with people getting sick and having to take time off work, all those cost of living pressures that we were, we've been talking about. And, and I just think it's been a tough period of time. And so the fact that we've kind of held where we are, just ticked up a point there, indicates to me that we've got a lot to be optimistic about. And, and the focus now is for New Zealand, focusing on the summer that's ahead of us, you know, tourists are coming back. Immigration is sort of, you know, kicking back into life, so we're filling in some of the the gaps that have been causing a bit of stress, international students back. And our focus now turns to our our economic plan, which is around, you know, creating that more productive high-wage jobs, getting on top of the climate change issues and actually finding the opportunities within, within our response to climate change. And we've got a huge number of issues on the boil, which I think will be really, really helpful for New Zealand going forward. So, yeah, it was one of those polls where um, it was a little, almost like a bit of a no-change poll, really. Long term, I think the election's going to be close. I think that's the pattern in New Zealand between the, the sort of left and right blocks, really, and that's what we're heading towards in 2023. It's 19 to 6 and Nathan Rarere, you're with First Up on RNZ National. What have I got in store for you between now and the end of the programme? We're going to talk about the Air New Zealand long-distance flight. They underestimated how logistically complicated it is. How did it go so wrong? We speak to uh, the Workers' Union and also the airline response. The Professionals of Morning reporter up after 6... A big show for you today. It's Corin Dan with us uh, here to lay out what is happening. Kia ora, Corin. How are you? Kia ora, good morning. Yeah, big focus internationally really this morning because there's some big storms brewing both in financial markets and of course with Hurricane Ian. Now on financial markets, the self-inflicted situation in the UK with their mini budget and tax cuts overwhelmingly uh, being criticised from not just obviously the market reaction but the IMF, some of the credit rating agencies, a lot of the big banks. It has caused all sorts of turmoil with the currency, the pound, but we also saw an extraordinary situation today where the Bank of England intervened in the long-term bond market there because of concerns around their pension funds. Basically, they were worried about a run, worried about the stability of their financial system, all brought on by this extraordinary move by the new trust government. So they are under enormous pressure there. Big story. We'll have plenty more on that from the UK. Then, of course, there is the 
the Hurricane Ian, which uh, is bearing down on Tampa and uh, There is Florida. footage of people swimming at the beach on their <laughs> webcams. Idiots. Yeah, well, I uh, I can see you can see in real time the uh, the the uh, wind speeds and the, uh, the the water surge, which is going to be the issue here. I think this could end up being pretty bad, mm-hmm. so we'll uh, keep a very close watch on uh, that as well. And then, of course, there's the ongoing situation in Ukraine. Lots happening there this morning with the EU announcing more sanctions. There's the Nord Stream uh, alleged sabotage story uh, that's ongoing. Denmark, I think, and others uh, basically now have pointed the finger at Russia. So quite a lot going on there. Locally, of course, we'll have some stories around nursing. We'll look at the health system uh, straining a bit in Christchurch with their ED and the rally. We'll there rally back. Yeah, they yeah. Want, want some Whipping fun around on the, on the gravel roads. Goodness me. That's, that's a full show there, everybody. Uh, that's why we've got the best in the business on it up after six. Well, Air New Zealand's fledgling New York route has hit multiple speed bumps since it launched, with both passengers and bags offloaded from different flights amid warnings about strong headwinds could force the return flight to stop in Fiji to have to refuel. Uh, so has the airline underestimated how logistically complicated the route is? What happens with cargo? And are the crews staying within union-agreed working hours for that long-haul flight? Because that is long. In a moment, we're going to hear from Air New Zealand pilot Andrew Ridling, who's the president of the Airline uh, Pilots Association. But first, joining us live is Etu Union Director, uh, who's looking after the aviation sector, Savage. Kia ora, Savage. Hey, did, um, did Air New Zealand badly underestimate how complicated offering this massive flight would be? Ah, oh, good morning, Nathan. No, we don't think they underestimated it. They knew it was going to be a, a complex uh, arrangement to send aircraft and crew and passengers all the way to New York and back, and all the way to Chicago and back. Um, but obviously, at this point, we're uh, we're watching uh, keenly to to look at the flight parameters that were expected and whether or not those are actually uh, what is occurring. Yeah, I mean, so do you think from if thing? I mean, obviously, if things stay, they are. We're still going to have more instances of the Air New Zealand flights on this route needing to stop off in Fiji to refuel, aren't we? Well, I think it was always known that on a on a long, ultra long range flight like this, you're pushing the the capabilities of the aircraft um, to its limits in terms of um, you know how much fuel you can carry and how much weight you can carry, how many passengers you can carry. But also that we were running up against um, the amount of time that any air crew can, can um, feasibly um, uh, perform their duties, right? So there's a duty, limit to, duty limitations on how long uh, pilots and cabin crew um, can be at work uh, because fatigue is, is one of the biggest risk factors there. So uh, the airline is running up against those parameters. Uh, and and it was always known that every now and again something might occur that would in, that would mean that the flight might have to divert or that something might occur um, uh, that would delay things. Uh, but it's really just how often that occurs. That that's the key question. Whether or not this is an anomaly that this uh, these opening couple of weeks are a little bit of an anomaly, or whether that it, it's likely that that pattern may actually keep repeating. So, Savage, I, I was uh, talking to a friend of mine who's a former cabin crew, long-haul flight for Air New Zealand, who said to me, I feel really sorry for the crew on that flight. They must arrive feeling like a bag of a dot, 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 dot holes on the end there, like I said, it was really <laughs> tired. Can you explain to us how long that flight is, but also like, what, what are the safety concerns and how long are crew members supposed to be working for? Yeah, all really good questions. Uh, 
when you're traveling as a passenger, you're mostly concerned with the flight time. What, you know, when does that flight take off and when does it land? So you're looking at about 17 and a half hours um, uh, for a flight to return from JFK back to Auckland. Now, it depends on the on the, what we call the winter and uh, winter and summer seasons. We're, we're coming into uh, the northern winter, so things take a little bit longer. But for the cabin crew, it's not about the flight time. It's actually about the duty time because they're obviously starting work before the flight takes off and they're finishing work afterwards. Um, now, they get uh, and they are required to have rest, um, a couple of nights rest, local station rest or local nights rest before they take off. Uh, they have rest uh, if they're on a layover over in JFK. They have rest opportunities, including horizontal rest during the flight. So everything is about the fatigue um, of the cabin crew to ensure that they're at the top of their game. Now, it is a really tough and arduous job to be working under those kinds of conditions for that length of time. So uh, a lot of uh, focus is on making sure that um, cabin crew do not exceed uh, the fatigue limits. They have rest when they get back as well. So there's all kinds of parameters in place to ensure that you're, when you get on that plane, you're gonna have um, you know, a good, capable crew who have had the amount of rest that they need so that they can perform all the important um, safety functions on board the plane, as well as looking after the, the, the passengers and the, and the uh, flight crew as well. So um, all of that's uh, taken into account. But we, um, there are limits. Uh, the no crew can can go over 20 hours without the permission of the pilot. So the pilots have got discretion um, to go over 20 hours, and then no one can go over 22 hours. Now, if you look at the flight times from, uh, or the duty times rather, from JFK back to Auckland, um, you're running up uh, running up to about 19 and a half hours of duty time so that doesn't get leave you a lot of opportunity for anything um, un, unexpected to happen um, so th there's this window of uh, maybe two and a half hours to three hours that you can play with um, and if anything looks like it's going to go over that then at some point someone's going to have to make the call to, to put that plane on the ground and to get new crew on board yeah savage thank you very much for that and, and i guess if you're listening and you're wondering about that think about as a passenger, do you really want an exhausted cabin crew walking up the aisle holding drinks saying tea, coffee, tea, coffee? Because that's a pretty, you know, that, that ain't a, a good thing to be having there. So that is the big long haul flight. Um, and uh, listening uh, into that, uh, and we're very grateful for him being here with us, is uh, in New Zealand pilot Andrew Ridling. Andrew is also the president of the Airline Pilots Association and joins us, us now live from the Global Aviation Hub of Montreal. Uh, in New Zealand says it spent a year modelling for this flight, but it hasn't managed to get too much right thus far, and will now only carry 180 passengers on the return journey instead of the 260 or so who are able to fly to the States. So, Andrew, first of all, thank Thank you very much for joining me here. So, I mean, they've, they've, this Good plan, morning, this plan itself's been in the pipeline for years. Eh? So, it's really interesting. Though, wh when you look at this, what have what what was got so wrong, and where do you think wrong information came from? Well, I, I, I think that probably that uh, the information isn't wrong. Um, the plan was always to take around 250 to 255 passengers northbound, and to bring southbound around 205 passengers. One of the things we can't control, of course, is uh, weather and the winds that are currently sitting in the, um, in the Pacific. And if you look what's happening with Cyclone Ian heading up the western coast of Florida at the moment, those winds uh, translate across into the Pacific. So those, those situations are always planned for and always being looked at. Uh, and it's just this time of the year where the winds are fickle and um, are difficult to manage. And so uh, with a flight that's that long and that tight... Um, there is always going to be issues. 
Okay, so Andrew, so what you're saying is with that headwind that we fly, you know, because of the way the rotation or what have you, because when they fly back from New York, they fly back to New Zealand, it is into the headwind, so obviously that's going to take more energy and fuel out of the plane, so it needs its way. As a pilot, would you say that in a couple of months' time when the weather's better, you would feel confident taking off with a full plane with its full load to fly from New York back to New Zealand? Well, we'll always take off with a full load. Um, it's what that load is made up of, uh, whether it's people and baggage or, or freights or, and, and fuel. Um, you know, we've been doing this now for quite a while with Chicago or with uh, Houston. And very recently, I had a similar experience coming home from Houston uh, about a month ago. Where, again, we were pushing up against fuel because of the winds changing en route. Uh, and we were seriously considering a diversion to Rarotonga to pick up fuel. So these things happen on a regular basis. And as pilots, we're constantly working those numbers through the night and through those times. It just becomes more difficult on a New York sector because you are that much longer in the air. Right, okay. So when we have a look at this problem that we've got at the moment, when did it become apparent that, that we had problems with this. And can you just take me through the maths? Who is it that works out before we take off going, hang on, I, I don't think we can take off with a full plane? Well, the final decision sits with the pilot command. And uh, there is a maximum weight, and the maximum weight of a 787 is around 255 tonnes. Out of that, you've got the weight of the aircraft, you've got the weight of fuel, which uh, on a New York sector will be around 100 tonnes of fuel. So around uh, you know, 125,000 US dollars of gas sitting on the aircraft, and what's left over becomes the people, the bags, and the freight. Um, so those numbers are worked on a, on a flight-by-flight basis, uh, from the flight planners to the load controllers to the, the pilots to um, everybody that's in the system, really. Um, and on a daily basis, obviously, that will change. So what gets ditched first? Is it uh, passenger luggage, or is it freight, or does the freight travel entirely differently? Uh, no, I, traditionally it's freight. That, that decision uh, doesn't sit with me. That decision sits with the company is what they right. choose to offload. The decision that uh, sits with us is that's, what we, that's all we can carry. Um, but traditionally it's the freight that gets offloaded first and that will be trucked to another destination and uh, uh, brought home a different way. Oh, okay. Now, the, it's, this is about the Boeing 787. So yep. it, it, would you look, I know there's, there's other forms of air, aircraft that are out there. Would other aircraft make this trip no trouble? Like, is this a 787 problem? Uh, no, not at all. No, I, I think the 787 is a um, uh, very good aeroplane for the route. Uh, it's, it's designed to do this sort of flying. Um, and, and it's proved itself on Chicago, Houston, and other, and other destinations that... Uh, uh, in New Zealand and, and we fly to. I think we have to put in perspective here that um, living in New Zealand, we're a long way away from the rest of the world. So these flights are flights that we are going to continue to do and we're going to get more and more of it. And it's about being in an isolated country like we are at the bottom of the world, which also makes us uh, a lovely country to live in. Yeah. And, and finally, you, you know, this is, I mean, Air New Zealand always ranks towards the top of the airlines in the world. When, when you've got something like this promised to New Yorkers that they can come over and, and it might not go so well, it, what's the danger of it, you know, of this mistake costing, you know, I, I guess costing the airline money? Well, from the feedback that I've had so far, and that's from the international uh, commu- uh, aviation community, is people are really looking forward to this New York service. Uh, people are appraising it. Um, they're sitting back saying, good on Air New Zealand for taking this on. It's probably uh, one of the longest routes in the world, I think the third or fourth longest. But we're remembering we're operating through some fairly uh, um, 
some fairly, what, you, what would you say, airspace where there's not a lot of people living. Now, across the Pacific Ocean, down the coast of uh, Mexico and uh, across the Pacific. So um, this has got some huge advantages for New Zealand and Air New Zealand and us as a country, I feel. Yeah, Andrew, thank you so much for your time there as well. So there, everybody, that is uh, the news of uh, the long-haul flight and problems that it has had. Now, I asked you earlier on in the show uh, for a couple of bits of feedback. Boy, you've got lots to say about um, Liz Truss. I'll try and get through as much as I can. Paul from Wanaka says, slashing that top tax rate in the UK only helps the rich. They will enable the wealthy to upgrade to a better yacht berth at the Mediterranean next to the Russian refugee oligarch. UK is in trouble. John says, UK economic catastrophe coming our way. Politically biased reserve bank governors and incompetent finance ministers combined to create massive debt and inflation from printed money. Uh, Dears in Wellington, I think the current UK situation is just the continuing consequences of Brexit. Uh, Liz Truss has been left to deal with Boris Mess. Uh, Nathan Grant R is seriously deluded and the feedback he's getting is BS. New Zealand is in trouble in so many ways. That's Max of Christchurch. Okay, uh, Liz Truss believes in trickle-down policies. Says Chris, these never work. They only benefit a minority of wealthy, making tax cuts at a time when around the world uh, economies are suffering will only lead to more hardships. We had lots and lots of feedback. Thank you so much for all of it. Stay listening. We've got a good show for your morning report. Is next with Guyon and Corin from all of us here at First Up. Have a wonderful day, and we're back in your ears. Ah, poor poor.